Welcome to another fascinating episode of our podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving into a groundbreaking paper titled Contingencias como modelos de causalidad en psychopathologia, or Contingencies as Models of Causation in Psychopathology, by Santiago Castillo from Yale University and Robin A. Murphy from the University of Oxford. That's right, Jen. This paper takes us on a deep dive into how contingency learning theory, CLT in short, can help us understand the intricate links between causality, learning, and psychopathology. At its core, CLT suggests that our understanding of causality, basically learning that certain events cause others, stems from both Pavlovian and instrumental learning processes. These processes help us adapt to the environment by anticipating future events based on past experiences. What's really fascinating is how CLT uses mathematical models, analytical and computational, to analyze learning processes. This dual approach allows for a precise understanding of how we learn from contingencies, that is, the relationship between two events or actions and their outcomes. And the paper doesn't stop there. It goes further to describe experimental methods for studying contingencies in humans, like the rapid streaming trial procedure for passive learning and the free operant procedure for active learning, where the participants' actions control outcomes. These methods have opened up new ways to explore how people perceive their control over outcomes. For instance, the sense of agency, the feeling that you are the one in control of your actions, and the illusion of causality, where people believe they control outcomes that they actually don't. Which brings us to a critical part of the paper, the application of CLT to understanding individual differences related to effect, namely depression and psychosis dimensions like schizotypy. Exactly, Jen. The paper discusses intriguing findings like depressive realism, where people with depressive tendencies have a more accurate perception of their lack of control in certain situations, challenging the notion that optimism biases our sense of control. On the flip side, it also delves into how individuals high in schizotypy or experiencing psychosis might show an altered perception of causality and control, leading to delusional beliefs or apophenia seeing connections where none exist. What's revolutionary about this paper is how it links CLT to psychopathology, providing a fresh perspective on the underlying cognitive processes that may contribute to these conditions. And it's not just about understanding these conditions better. This work lays the groundwork for developing more targeted and effective therapeutic interventions by focusing on how learning and cognition are intertwined with psychopathology. Now reflections time. What resonates with me is how this paper highlights the importance of understanding individual differences in learning and perception. It underscores the complexity of mental health conditions and challenges the one-size-fits-all approach to diagnosis and treatment. Absolutely, Tom. For me, it's about the power of learning and adaptability. The paper provokes thought on how our brains are continuously learning from and adapting to our environment, for better or worse, shaping our understanding of the world and ourselves in the process. It certainly leaves us with a lot to ponder about the human mind and its capacity for learning, adapting, and sometimes misinterpreting the world around us. Well, that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found it as enlightening and thought-provoking as we did. Thanks for tuning in.
Don't forget to check out our next episode for more intriguing explorations into the world of psychology and beyond. Until then, take care. Bye, everyone. Have you ever blamed your toaster for burning your bread, convinced it had a personal vendetta against you? Or maybe you've thanked a traffic light for turning green, like it was doing you a personal favor. Well, folks, you're not alone in the world of quirky causal beliefs. That's why we're introducing the breakthrough service of the century, causality correctors. That's right. Tired of seeing faces in clouds or believing your car keys hide on purpose? Causality Correctors is here to recalibrate your causality compass. With our patented reality check technology, derived directly from the contingencias como modelos de causalidad en psicopatología study, we provide real-time feedback on your causal assumptions. Just wear our stylish causality corrector glasses, available in chic, nerd, and invisible, and watch as arrows and captions appear in your vision, guiding your understanding of real versus imagined causal relationships. See a conspiracy in every corner? Our glasses gently buzz, reminding you it's probably just a coincidence. Believe that pressing the elevator button multiple times makes it arrive faster? A soft, soothing voice will whisper, It's all the same, bud. So don't let misplaced causality run or ruin your life. Try causality correctors today and see the world for the wonderfully random place it really is. Because sometimes, things just happen. Visit our website to learn more and to get your first pair at a no-coincidental discount. Don't wait for a sign from the universe. Make causality clarity your reality with causality correctors. Side effects may include sudden clarity, reduced conspiracy theorizing, and an enhanced sense of humor about life's little coincidences. Call now. Welcome to today's episode, where we delve deep into the experiences of becoming a new parent during the uniquely challenging times of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's right, Tom. Today, we're diving into a comprehensive study titled Becoming a New Parent During the Pandemic, Experiences of Pregnancy, Birth, and the Postnatal Period, authored by Emma Blakey, Daniel Curia, Michelle McGillian, and Fiona Scott. This study presents firsthand accounts from 303 new parents in the UK, capturing an array of emotions and challenges faced during this pivotally sensitive period, further complicated by the pandemic. Let's break it down. The study is rooted in a desire to understand how disruptions in healthcare, lack of social support, policy changes, and the sudden reliance on digital technology impacted new parents' holistic well-being. Exactly, Jen. The research spotlighted eight main themes, ranging from the detrimental effects on parental well-being, the absence of the proverbial village, drastic changes in healthcare provision, to divergent impacts on financial stability and work life. A striking finding was the profound sense of isolation and emotional turmoil parents experienced due to restrictive policies that limited partner presence during critical moments like birth and drastically altered social support mechanisms. Yes, and despite the overwhelming challenges, parents also recounted silver linings like strengthened familial bonds and unexpected opportunities for partners to be more involved due to working from home conditions. Importantly, the study also underlines the essential role of clear, consistent communication in healthcare settings. The pandemic revealed gaps in digital healthcare provision, marked by many parents' reliance on often conflicting online information for advice. 
The paper concludes with invaluable recommendations for future crises, stressing the necessity of preserving in-person healthcare support, ensuring clear and consistent policy communication, and recognizing the crucial role of extended social and parental support networks. Personally, Tom, this study resonates deeply. It paints a vivid picture of resilience amid adversity, irreplaceable value of human connection, and the crucial need for supportive structures that recognize the profound transition of becoming a new parent. Well said, Jen. And it also serves as a reminder of our shared vulnerabilities and the strength found in community and empathy. This research is not just a documentation of experiences. It's a guide for future policy and practice, ensuring that no parent feels left behind in times of crisis. To our listeners, whether you've navigated parenting during the pandemic or know someone who has, this paper offers insights that affirm the collective struggles and triumphs experienced across the globe. With that, we wrap up today's episode. Thanks for joining us on this enlightening journey into the hearts and homes of new parents during the pandemic. Stay tuned for more episodes that make sense of our ever-changing world. And remember, it's through understanding each other's experiences that we pave the way for empathy and support in our communities. Take care and see you next time. Ever felt like you're trying to decode parenting advice from an alien civilization? Or like you're preparing for a baby's arrival by reading a manual meant for assembling a spaceship? Worry no more. Introducing Baby's First Apocalypse, the one-stop app developed in response to the insights from the pandemic parenting paper. Whether you're facing the conundrum of sleep schedules or decoding the mysteries of diaper changes in the dark, Baby's First Apocalypse has got you covered. Our app features the revolutionary Cryterpreter, helping you distinguish between the I'm hungry whale and the I've discovered my toes shriek. Plus, panic not when the internet throws contradictory advice at you. Our parenting Mythbusters tool will zap those unhelpful tips faster than you can say diaper rash. And for those moments when you feel isolated on Planet New Parent, our global community feature connects you with fellow sleep-deprived beings. Share tips, tricks, or just a virtual cup of coffee. Baby's first apocalypse, turning your parenting apocalypse into an epic win. Download now and embrace the chaos with confidence. Welcome back to our podcast. Today, we're diving deep into an intriguing paper titled Sheer Disagreement Theory. Conflicting worldviews may motivate social response adjustment by Eliane de Schreiber, from the University of Sydney's School of Psychology. That's right, Tom. This paper breaks new ground by proposing a concept known as sheer disagreement, which could explain how conflict in views between individuals not only affects our perception, but also our social responses and interactions. At its core, this theory suggests a dual conflict signal may arise in the brain when we perceive someone else's perspective as different, which de Schreiber identifies as a mental conflict and also wrong, which is referred to as cognitive conflict. This is fascinating because it brings a new dimension to the study of social neuroscience, which traditionally focused on understanding others' motives and behaviors through the concept of mental state inference, or what's commonly known as theory of mind. Absolutely, Jen. One key insight from the paper is that during such disagreements, our brain identifies both a mental and a cognitive conflict 
which can evoke negative emotions and motivate us to exert more control over our social responses. And it's this increased response control in social situations that can lead to interpersonal flexibility. For example, tweaking one's initial response to prevent a disagreement from escalating. It makes a lot of intuitive sense, doesn't it? It really does. And this could partly explain why we sometimes tell white lies, or why people with autism, who according to the paper, might have a lesser sensitivity to the sheer disagreement signal, tend to exert less social response control. Then there's this intriguing part about how individuals with dark triad personalities might exploit an understanding of this mechanism to manipulate others. They could feign like-mindedness or exaggerate disagreement to control a social situation to their advantage. Dr. Deschriver's work offers profound implications across various aspects of human interaction. Whether it's navigating everyday disagreements or understanding the complex dynamics in relationships affected by autism or manipulation tactics by certain personalities. Indeed, Tom, sheer disagreement theory has the potential to inform not just psychology, but also sociology, communication, and possibly even conflict resolution strategies. It pushes the envelope on how we understand and adapt to conflict in social interactions. Reflecting on this, the concept of sheer disagreement really highlights the intricate balance between our internal perceptions and external expressions within social contexts. It underscores the significance of cognitive control in maintaining harmonious human relationships. And what strikes me is how this concept bridges the cognitive aspects of conflict with the emotional and relational outcomes. It's not just about recognizing disagreement, but how we deal with it emotionally and socially that shapes our interactions. As we wrap up, it's clear that the sheer disagreement theory adds a rich layer to our understanding of social dynamics. By dissecting the neural and cognitive processes behind disagreement, it offers a new lens through which we can view and possibly improve our social interactions. Absolutely, Tom. And that wraps up our deep dive into the sheer disagreement theory. It's been a thought-provoking discussion, and we hope it ignites further exploration and conversations among our listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, keep pondering the complexities of the human mind and how they shape our world. Have you ever found yourself stuck in an argument, desperately wishing for a way out? Or maybe you've agreed to something just to avoid a disagreement, and now you're enrolled in underwater basket weaving classes. Introducing the Disagree No More app. Inspired by the sheer disagreement theory, this innovative app is changing the way we handle conflicts. With a simple press of a button, Disagree No More analyzes the disagreement and offers you a list of responses designed to diffuse the situation with humor, wit, or sheer bewildering facts about armadillos. Armadillos? Really, Jen? Absolutely, Tom. It turns out distracting someone with armadillo facts is an excellent way to shift focus from conflict to confusion and ultimately camaraderie. Disagree No More isn't just an app. It's your pathway to peace. It's scientifically designed to adjust social responses, ensuring that every conversation ends with a smile or at least a puzzled but amused head shake. Download Disagree No More today and turn every argument into an opportunity for laughter, learning, and lots of armadillo facts. Your relationships might never be the same, but hey, at least you'll avoid underwater basket weaving.
Welcome to another episode of our podcast, where today we're diving into an exciting piece of research titled Using Gibbs Sampling with People to Characterize Perceptual and Aesthetic Evaluations in Multidimensional Visual Stimulus Space, conducted by Aline Van Geert, Nori Jacoby, and their teams at the Max Planck Institute for Empirical Aesthetics and KU Leuven. This research tackles the complex nature of our aesthetic appreciation, which is influenced by many different stimulus dimensions, like colors, shapes, and sizes. Traditionally, it's been challenging to understand how these dimensions interact and contribute to our overall perception, because previous studies have typically handled these aspects in isolation or without controlled manipulation. That's right, Jen. The beauty of this study lies in its innovative approach by combining the Order and Complexity Toolbox for Aesthetics, OC, and Gibbs Sampling with People, GSP. The OCA allowed researchers to create multidimensional, parametrically controlled stimuli. Think of visual patterns that vary in their color, shape, and size in a controlled manner. And Gibbs Sampling with People, or GSP, is a nifty method where participants adjust a slider to change one visual dimension at a time say, the color of a shape. This way, without getting overwhelmed, people can explore and make judgments about complex visual spaces, helping researchers understand what combinations of features are perceived as most ordered, complex, pleasant, or interesting. They conducted two main experiments. In the first, participants tuned elements in a visual pattern to match their perception of order, complexity, pleasantness, or interest. The study revealed, for example, that blue squares and diamonds were often seen as very ordered, while all blue-colored familiar shapes were perceived as pleasant. The second experiment cranked up the complexity by allowing different attributes for odd and even elements in the image. Findings from this experiment highlighted how minimal differences in color, shape, and size were deemed most ordered, but when it came to interest, participants favored maximal differences in color. This research not only confirms some known trends in aesthetic preferences, like the general preference for blue or familiar shapes, but also offers fresh insights. One interesting takeaway is how the complexity and pleasantness evaluations were positively related, which goes against some previous findings, previous findings, but aligns with theories suggesting there's an optimal level of complexity that we find appealing. Absolutely, Tom. And what's particularly exciting about this study is its potential to impact a range of fields. From psychology to design, understanding the intricate dance between different stimulus dimensions and our perceptions can help tailor environments, products, and even art that resonates more deeply with human experience. It's a testament to the power of combining new methodologies to tackle age-old questions about aesthetics. By weaving together technology, psychology, and art, this study brings us a step closer to unraveling the mystery of why we like what we like. So, whether you're a designer curious about the next trend, an artist exploring new boundaries, or just someone fascinated by the beauty of the world around you, this research offers valuable insights into the multidimensional space of our aesthetic evaluations. And on that note, we wrap up today's episode. Join us next time as we continue to explore the fascinating world where science and the senses intersect. Thanks for tuning in. Are you tired of endlessly scrolling through colors, shapes, and sizes, trying to figure out what looks good? Do you find yourself in a creative rut, 
wishing there was a magical way to know what visually pleases not just you, but the masses. Well, have we got a solution for you? Introducing Aesthetifind, the revolutionary new app powered by the groundbreaking research on perceptual and aesthetic evaluations in multidimensional visual stimulus space. With Aesthetifind, gone are the days of guessing which shade of blue might tickle your brain's fancy or which geometric shape might make your heart skip a beat. Our app uses advanced Gibbs sampling with people technology to find your perfect aesthetic match. Looking for the optimal level of complexity in your living room decor? Curious about which color palette will make your next artwork a hit? Just swipe, tap, and explore in Aesthetifind. Plus, with our patented Moodometer, you can adjust settings for how ordered, complex, pleasant, or interesting you want your visual environment to be. Feeling chaotic? Crank up the complexity. In a serene mood, let's get those pleasant blue squares rolling. And for our listeners, we have a special offer. Use promo code PODCAST for a free month of premium access to Aesthetifind, including our exclusive Weird and Wonderful feature. Because sometimes, you just need a little weird to spark that creativity. Aesthetifind. Stop guessing, start impressing. Download today and make your aesthetic decisions smart, simple, and scientifically backed. Welcome back to our award-winning podcast. Today, we're diving deep into a recent paper titled Make Abandoned Research Publicly Available by Daniel Lockins and Eline Ensink from the Department of Industrial Engineering and Innovation Sciences at Eindhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands. That's right, Tom. This paper, published in Nature Human Behavior, addresses a long-standing issue in the scientific community, the abundance of unshared, well-designed, and pre-registered research. Lakens and Ensink argue that making this abandoned research publicly available could significantly advance our ability to do better science. And here's why this matters. Research doesn't always go as planned. Sometimes, even well-designed studies yield results that don't support the initial predictions, leading researchers to tuck these studies away in what's known as the file drawer. This so-called file drawer problem isn't new. It was first lamented by the psychologist Danette in 1966. He was shocked by the massive amount of unshared studies, a graveyard of what he called undead studies. Fast forward more than half a century, and the problem persists. Exactly, Jen. And it's not just about studies not supporting hypotheses. Lakens and Ensink point out several reasons why research ends up abandoned, including logistical challenges like a researcher leaving academia or the project failing peer review. They stress the importance of openness about these studies. Imagine the wealth of data collected that never sees the light of day. Knowing why this research is abandoned could reveal inefficiencies in our work methodologies and help reduce research waste. They even mention that the Open Science Framework, or OSF, has a policy where all pre-registrations become public after four years. This transparency shows us the gap between planned studies and those actually shared. And, Tom, the potential benefits of sharing these studies are vast. From preventing the wastage of research funds to enhancing the efficiency of knowledge generation. Transparently discussing abandoned projects could even inspire systemic changes, improving how scientific research is managed. Opening up about unpublished studies can also lead to collaborations, where data collected by one researcher could be used by another, providing opportunities for those with fewer resources. Right. 
And let's not forget about the impact on meta-science. Access to null results, for example, is crucial for more reliable effect size estimates in meta-analyses. This transparency can help identify more and less informative research questions, improving the overall quality of scientific inquiry. Moving forward, the paper proposes several improvements, like better project management and leveraging preprint servers for studies that didn't make it through peer review. They also highlight the importance of increasing the bus factor of projects, ensuring they can continue even if the responsible researcher can't complete them. They call for mandatory registration of all studies and updates on their progress. This approach, already common in clinical trials, could significantly reduce research waste and foster a culture where discussing the file drawer is normalized. In conclusion, Lakins and Onsink make a compelling case for breaking the status quo and fostering a more transparent discussion about abandoned research. It's a call to action for funders, universities, researchers, and those disseminating research to come together and reflect on improving the system. And personally, Tom, I find this paper illuminating. It challenges us to rethink how we perceive failed or unpublished studies and recognize their potential value to the scientific community. Absolutely, Jen. It's a reminder that in science, every data point matters. And by sharing all research, successful or not, we're pushing the boundaries of knowledge and making strides towards a more efficient and collaborative scientific ecosystem. That wraps up our discussion on Make Abandoned Research Publicly Available. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you found this episode as thought-provoking as we did. See you next time, where we'll explore another fascinating topic on the forefront of scientific research. Until then, keep questioning and stay curious. Are you sitting on a mountain of research that didn't quite see the light of day? Do you have a graveyard of undead studies collecting dust in your file drawer? Then, my brainy friend, have we got the solution for you. Introducing Together Zombie Papers Reanimation Services. Here at ZPRS, we believe your abandoned studies deserve a second chance at life. Why let them languish in the dark when they could be dancing in the limelight? With our patented reanimation process, We'll take your undead studies, spruce them up with some snazzy graphics, and share them with the world on our platform, The Lazarus Ledger. But wait, there's more. For a limited time only, we're offering the Frankenstein's Monster Package. We'll stitch together parts of your abandoned experiments to create a brand new, slightly terrifying study. Don't let your failed experiments haunt you. Give them the afterlife they deserve with Zombie Papers Reanimation Services. Call 1-800-REANIMATE today. That's 1-800-732-6483. Zombie Papers Reanimation Services, where no paper is left behind.